You're listening to Mental Work. I'm your host, Bronwyn, an early career psychologist based in Australia. And this is the podcast taking a closer look at the challenges faced by early career mental health professionals so they don't have to go it alone. Hi, faithful listeners, and welcome back to Mental Work. Today, we have an excellent topic, if I do say so myself, and it is excellent because it comes from a loyal listener, somebody really cool, somebody I definitely don't know, definitely not my mum. Yep, my mum suggested this topic, and I think it's quite a good one. Hi, mum. The topic is what to do when the client in front of you is not a good fit. I thought this was a really relevant topic because it's something that I encounter a lot. And I think it'd be relatable and that you would too. You would also encounter clients who you're like, I don't know what to do, or the personality is not a good fit, or the values are not a good fit. We're going to talk about what kinds of things make somebody a good fit and not a good fit, and how to overcome and bring up the fact that somebody is not a good fit with them. Let's get started. And first, I want to talk about why a fit matters anyway. Shouldn't we just suck it up as professionals and not let our biases and judgment affect our work if somebody's not a good fit? Well, there are a few things here. Firstly, you can't know everything. And as a trainee or early career mental health professional, thank God that we're not expected to know everything. That makes it feel a little bit better when I put a lot of pressure on myself and I'm like, holy shit, I should really know this. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I remember, like, I'm only in the first few years of my job in this field. Second thing is that we're not going to be the best person for everyone who walks through our door. So clients might have an inkling and they're like, oh, I think this person might be a good fit. But when they come through our door, we might not actually be the best person for them. That's not a personal flaw. It's just you can't possibly be a good fit for everyone. And then thirdly, we're only human. I think this is a very compelling reason why it's important to consider fit because without us even realizing it, our biases and judgments may impact the care that someone receives. For example, we know that if somebody says they have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, we actually know from HESA studies that that actually triggers a bias in, in mental health professionals, a negative bias, and that might impact the care that we actually give that person. So we might be less likely to monitor treatment, to prepare for treatment delivery, and to actually give them the greatest opportunity for recovery. And that's because we just have this simple negative bias towards a label. So if something as simple as that can really negatively impact the care that someone gives them, imagine if somebody, like for me, for instance, I love animals. And one of the things that I think that I couldn't work with with clients is seeing a client who has intentionally hurt animals. So let's just imagine maybe you have the same thing and then you have a client walk through the door. I think I would give this person very poor care. I don't think I could. So it's really important for me to know the fit in that case. So let's talk about first, what is a good fit? How do you know? For me, a good fit is like almost the absence of a bad fit. So a good fit is when everything feels right. You feel like you're getting along with the person, they gel with you, they're motivated and committed to treatment. 
you feel like what they're presenting with is something that you can definitely help with. So you give them ideas to how you can help in that first session. And you feel like treatment is going pretty well. And even if it's not, you feel pretty confident in bringing that up with the client that they will be receptive to it. What is a bad fit? How do you know? It's pretty much like the opposite of good fit. Everything feels icky. So I usually look out for this feeling of nausea, uh, crippling anxiety, anger, resentment. Those are the things that tell me if something is a bad fit for me. There's kind of places where bad fits can happen. So a bad fit can happen at the start of therapy. Someone walks through the door and they're like, I've got complex trauma and you've never had a bar of complex trauma training in your life. And you're like, okay, this might be a bad fit. A bad fit might emerge during therapy. So the person came in through the door and they were like, yep, I've got generalized anxiety. And you were like, sweet as I have training in generalized anxiety. And then it emerges like in session three and I've got complex trauma. And you, the clinician who doesn't have a bar of complex trauma training is like, okay, this might be a bad fit. And then there's another thing that happens. There's A, the knowledge gap. So that's what I was referring to when you don't have the complex training, trauma training. There might be a values gap. That's what I was referring to if somebody hurts animals and I don't share that value. There might be a personality gap. So I've encountered this with clients, I guess, who perhaps are quite controlling of the session. And to me, because I try and be flexible with a client, sometimes I can cater to what they want, um, but it actually doesn't work out well because what they want is perhaps avoiding the things that they need to face in order to get well. So I've realized that that kind of client might not be a good fit for me uh, because I need to actually be more assertive in saying, no, this is the actual treatment that will help you. So it's something I'm still working on, but I think the personality gap is quite, quite a difficult one to pick up. Another type of bad fit might be a culture gap. So you might be a white woman, I say me, and then you might be having a client come through the door who is a different cultural background to you and their cultural identity is quite important to them. And you being a white woman like me, um, you might not know what causes a person from that culture shame and then you unintentionally, I guess, instill shame in that person this causes a rupture and just because you don't have that background and training and perhaps you haven't educated yourself to actually work with that culture, then it's not a good fit and then that results in negative experience for the client. So overall, the client doesn't benefit. That's bad. And then another reason for bad fit is client preferences. So hands up if you've been rejected on the basis of your age. Yep, me. And I've had clients be like, 15 years ago, you would have been the exact therapist that I needed. And I'm like, okay, I understand. So sometimes people want different ages of therapists. Sometimes they want different genders or sometimes they want people with particular lived experience. Hopefully you're seeing now that of course it'd be impossible for you to be a good fit for everyone. And these are just some of the reasons why a bad fit happens. What do we do if we notice a bad fit? And this is the most difficult part because you might notice the bad fit in all these various ways, but like me, what I've done is it can be really tempting to continue with the client because you don't know what to do or because you feel embarrassed. I've done this many a times and 
might I say, with regrets. For example, I had a client who was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and I thought I could handle the case, but I couldn't. When I look back, I'm like, nah, I I don't think, I think I was doing okay in terms of rapport, but I definitely don't think I was giving the client the best opportunity for recovery. And that sucks. So why didn't I do anything? Because I was embarrassed to let my manager know because I thought it would demonstrate that I was being too sensitive, like I couldn't handle it, um, or that I was being too fussy, or that I was just plain incompetent. And at the time when I was working at that workplace, this was kind of a common thing. So if clinicians raised an issue with the client that they were seeing, it was perceived by other people that, oh, they just can't handle it, like they're not skilled. So it was reflecting poorly on them rather than actually being a mature decision of professional judgment because, as you would know, our ethical code requires us to seek clients within our scope of competence. I would say straight up, don't fall into that trap of being tempted to continue with the client out of embarrassment or fear. Let's move on to if you're at a workplace. If you're at a workplace, I'd recommend raising it with your manager when you notice a bad fit has happened. And I have done this. What happened is that I had an initial intake interview with a client and pretty much they had the worst, worst trauma history I had ever heard. As a provisional psychologist or a psychologist in training, immediately after session, my heart rate was very raised. I was pretty upset, actually. It's, it was really, really horrible. I immediately was like, I don't think I can see this client. So that was a good indication to me that that was a very easy decision for me. I was just like, nope, I cannot. What I did was I sent an email to my manager explaining the situation, so giving them an overview of um, what the client had shared with me. And then I actually said something to the effect of, I actually haven't had training in vicarious trauma and I'm concerned that if I actually work with this client that I won't be able to protect myself from the negative side effects of hearing their traumatic history. And they were very overt with sharing their history. And so I didn't feel like I could contain that enough as well. I did actually offer to the manager, I'm like, I could assist them with some short-term strategies while we find another clinician. Um, But overall, I was pretty firm in being like, I do not wish to see this client. I do not think that I would be a good fit for them. So framing it in terms of the client and thinking of the client first was helpful, but also reminding the workplace of their responsibilities to keep the workplace safe for me, which is a legal obligation of workplaces, was I think like a pretty all right strategy. So this was uh, accepted without any dramas, which was quite nice. I think I explained my case well. The only downside was that instead of actually uh, referring out the client they were given to another provisional psychologist who also did not have any experience in this area. So it was like, win for me, uh, maybe not a win for the other person. If you're in private practice, what I would recommend is creating a list of client presentations that you do and do not see adding to it over time. So I've got my little list going and I kind of modify it as I go along. Right now, I don't see clients who are seeking court reports. I don't see workers' compensation clients. I also don't work with OCD clients. 
and I can work with eating disordered clients but only under very specific circumstances. So if I feel like I've got the competence and even then at the start when I work with eating disorder clients, I will say that uh, I will be open with them and I will say if we reach the boundaries of my knowledge then I will refer them out. So I quite like that. And I would say in private practice, notice when you're extending your boundaries. So when it emerges during therapy that it's like gone to a place and you don't know what to do, notice when you're actually being like, oh, okay, this is actually beyond my knowledge or skill set, or this is a personality thing that's coming up. And I would recommend consulting with a peer or writing down your reflections because those are things that can be kind of grist for the mill and bringing up to the client in the session. And finally, like this strategy, this last one works quite well for me because I love planning and preparation. I love scripts as well. So for me, uh, it's quite obvious solution for me to have a plan in place for what to do when clients come who are not a good fit, like a script that you communicate to them. So here's my little script that I've got, which is saying to the client that if it emerges during treatment that there's a knowledge gap, my procedure is to be upfront with you and let you know that I don't have any training in this area or specifically what's going on. I might let you know that I'm willing to upskill as it's close to another area that I do know and that you're welcome to continue with me and I'll monitor treatment, but you're equally welcome to choose to not continue with me and I will assist you in finding another clinician. If you choose to continue with me, if you're not improving after a certain number of sessions, we will discuss again and then likely I'll recommend another clinician. I'll help you find that other person. So I think actually communicating this to clients, it feels scary because we don't want to be seen as incompetent by the clients. But I think for me, remembering that I can't possibly know everything and not expecting myself to know that and even like communicating Catering that to the client if they're like, which they won't be, um, but I guess some of them might be. But just remembering that can really help. And if I work out that a bad fit is happening during treatment, usually what I do is stew in nauseating anxiety for a few days, and you can do that if you like. Um, but then, yeah, usually I consult with a peer and decide what to do or bring it up with the client. Overall, my takeaways for this episode are that fit is important because it impacts to what extent our clients recover and impacts our own well-being. If we're overextending ourselves to deliver therapy for absolutely everyone who walks through the door, we're going to be on a good road to burnout. And that is not good for us or the clients that we're trying to help. We can't be everything to everyone and we don't have to expect ourselves to be. Remember, We are early career mental health professionals and some of us are still in training and we can't know everything. So don't be too hard on yourself. Just come up with a script or what to do with a client doesn't fit comes your way and practice it and be okay with not knowing everything and be confident in sticking to your scope of competence. I really hope this helps you kind of get a good sense of what's a good fit and what's a bad fit in your mind. And perhaps you'll be more alert to good and bad fits in your work this week or the next. And I hope it helps you work out just a few ideas for what to do when that bad fit comes up. Thanks heaps and take care. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career mental health professionals. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press subscribe on your podcast listening app. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous ones, leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. What topics would you enjoy hearing us talk about on the show? We'd love to hear from you. Email us your suggestions at mentalworkpodcast at gmail.com. Have a good one and see you next time.